Welcome to Conversation Pace. I'm your host, Brian Rossetti. Before I get into this episode, I have to make the obligatory request to follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you enjoy the show, we'd appreciate your review on podcasts. This is the best way for us to reach more listeners. Okay, I'm super excited to set up this next interview. In episode 21, I spoke with running legend Bob Kennedy. I'm super thankful to share this interview as Bob's experience in the sport is a treasure for athletes and coaches. Bob is an owner and president of Athletic Annex, a running and walking specialty store in Indianapolis. He's in the middle of building out a second store, so we discussed the state of running retail at the beginning of the episode. Bob Kennedy was a hero to so many young athletes, including myself, at a time when U.S. distance running was not very deep on the world stage. He inspired a generation of new runners, which was instrumental in the U.S. becoming one of the best distance running countries in the world. He's a two-time Olympian and the first ever non-African to run the 5,000 meters in less than 13 minutes. His time of 12.58 was the American record for 13 years. He also held the American record in the 3,000 at 7.30 and two miles at 8.11. In this episode, we discuss how he got into running, his training at an early age and how it developed over time, his mental approach to the sport and racing. This to me was the key to Kennedy's greatness. We discussed taking the lead in the Olympic final of the 5K. We also discussed what he learned from training with the Kenyans, his approach to strength, nutrition, and recovery. And finally, parenting a young elite athlete. His daughter, Sophia, is currently one of the best runners in the state of Indiana. There's good lessons here for all our running parents out there. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hey, so how are things going in Indiana? You know, things are going pretty well for us, for our family. I know it's a difficult time out there for everybody. Um, the running store business has been pretty solid. Um, I think people are just, you know, they're at home, so they're getting out and moving a little bit more. Gyms are closed. I have teenage twins. Uh, so that's probably been the hardest, just them not being able to um, be as active as they normally would be. But but really, in the grand scheme of things, things are going great. And the, the kids are back in school now. What does that look like for them? Yeah, my kids are back in school. Um, they go to a pretty small school. Um, and so they're able to social distance and wear masks all the time. Um no busing, things like that. So, um, so they've been able to be in school and, and that's worked out pretty well so far. Nice. That's good to hear. Um, yeah, my kids are still remote at the moment, but, um, we're, we're managing with, with the help of grandparents at the moment. So that's been helpful. I've heard that story so many times. (laughs) My dad was retired or he thought he was. Now he's, now he's teaching again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So talk about run specialty. You, you own two stores today or or correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a um, um, long and winding story, but effectively uh, actually right now I own one store. We're opening a second store. We're in the middle of a build out. Wow. Yeah. And so I've kind of, grown and contracted and sold and purchased and 
you know, it's a big, long, winding road of run specialty for me. And are you seeing what I've what I've heard? I think I mentioned my brother owns a few special run specialty stores yeah. as well, and it sounds like they're seeing a lot of new customers as as a result of the pandemic. Um, are you seeing the same? And and then what are some of the challenges you guys are dealing yeah. with at the moment? Yeah, we are seeing some of the same. And I think especially back in March, April, May, uh, I mentioned earlier that, you know, people weren't going to the office. They were working from home. Gyms are closed. And I, I think as much as a, I need to get out of the house and do something positive for myself, and my 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 guess is that was a big driver of of I, new new runners and walkers, but also reengaged. Mm. So we would hear stories of new runners and walkers in the store, but we'd also hear a lot of stories of people who would come in and say, "Man, I used to run like 20 years ago, <laughs> uh, uh, and and I've started again." And and those are actually really amazing stories because they're like, "I forgot how much I love it." That's um, cool. And so that's been cool. And then what, what about some of the challenges? Cause this, you know, the pand- pandemic hits and, you know, run specialty, obviously retail in general is already facing um, challenges. So what do you yeah. think run specialty needs to do? Obviously you guys are like just a, you know, such a creator of community um, and such a big part of growing the sport. So what are some of the things that you feel like other store owners need to be doing to continue to grow and, and adapt to um, yeah. you know, this difficult situation? I, I think the challenges are how, how do we um, continue to drive energy and engagement with the new runners and re-engaged runners we just talked about, but also the core uh, running and walking community um, that's been there. And so with no events and no large events, I mean, there's so much energy created around community and events yeah, uh, but that is such a big void, and so, uh, and I—I'll be honest, I, I'm not sure we've figured that out yet. The secret sauce to that, but but really trying hard uh, virtually, which is very difficult over a long period of time to create energy virtually, um, um, to to do that, but to try to keep engaged uh, the community so that. Um, when when we roll out of this, they're they're kind of ready to go. I was talking to um, uh, Joe Toth, who's at Saucony um, last week, and uh, we were we were we were talking about you know if there let's say let's say New York Marathon in 2021, knock on yeah. wood, hopefully that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, the the energy at an event like that coming out of a pause, coming out of a lockdown, a shutdown, yeah. a pandemic is going to be off the charts, right? <laughs> so how do we maintain people, maybe not at the same level of energy, but enough so that when when we get to that point, they're like, oh yeah, I miss this so much, right? Kind of another boost from that point. Yeah, another we're building towards another big running boom, I think. But it's crazy in March... Uh, or at least in the spring, even you know during the lockdowns, we saw coaches having like you know pretty busy seasons because I think a lot of people were still you know have their fingers crossed that something was going to happen this fall. And now it's crazy that we're like knock on wood, 2021, you know the fall 
Right, a year from now. It's crazy. So, um, but I definitely, you know, see that once once things do come back. But have you seen motivation just drop in terms of the runners that do like the training programs or that meet up for the the type of group runs? And um, has that fallen off because events have just disappeared? So, somewhat. And and I talk to run specialty guys around the country and in Indiana. For better or worse, um, you know, we we we're relatively open. So, for example, my daughter's having a cross country season. The state cross country championships are Saturday, right? And so that's been, oh, wow. other than some spectator limitations, that's been pretty normal for high school cross country runners in the state of Indiana. I know that's not the case around the country, right? So that's talked to a friend of mine who has a teenage son uh, runner in California who's you know, been devastated because they have nothing going on. And and so uh, the, 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 the energy in Indiana, I don't think has been as extreme up and down as some other parts of the country. Um, and like I said, for better or worse, like we could argue yeah. that we should be shut down. I, I, I totally understand that. But, um, you know, that we, we as a store are not doing uh, training, uh, in-person training program, group bronze. But there's a lot of clubs that are starting that again in the last mm. weeks or so. Um, and so people do have outlets. In fact, we have had some races, um, small, a uh, couple hundred people here and there. Um, but but there are some things to do. So so I, I, I'm not sure I'm the best to answer that because yeah. – relatively but um um but but certainly we've lost some too because people a lot of people live for those events they live for um the big race and that's what creates their energy and that's gone right now yeah um well okay i want to step back and talk a little bit about your story and get into parenting a competitive runner because i know i've read that your daughter was fifth at the state meet last year, I believe, as a freshman, right? Um, That's right. Yeah. So she's got a big one this this Saturday. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, so I've read that your dad was an elite distance runner. I don't think I knew that until recently. Um, that he was a New Jersey state record holder, correct? Yeah, in the two mile. Um, that's pretty cool. And how did he get into the sport? Do you know? You know, I I don't I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know if I've ever asked him that. I just always knew he ran. Um, <laughs> you know, he went to a small Catholic school in uh, West Orange, New Jersey, and um, okay. um, and he somehow got going on that, and he was pretty good early. And um, um, he, he always he always tells me that he he beat Marty Lacory a couple times, and and then oh. you dig, you're like, well, how old was Marty? He said, well, he was a <laughs> when i was a senior i'm like okay <laughs> uh, so yeah no he he i don't know he just he was just involved in it that's great and then so he obviously was a huge influence on you but was did he kind of push you to get into the sport or did it happen naturally yeah no he he didn't push um me at all i um i i grew up playing soccer and baseball and football um and I would say we didn't, you know, and where I grew up in Ohio, we didn't have elementary or middle school cross country uh, programs or clubs. 
Uh, so I basically, I ran a little middle school track, but I started running in high school uh, and cross country uh, and, and, and had some success early. Uh, and then you're like, okay, this, I think this is where I need to be because it's more fun than being, you know, second team soccer player. <laughs> right. Um, so it, it did happen a little bit more naturally. I, I always am hesitant with my kids not to sort of force it. Um, but it happens naturally because they see me, you know, where were you? I, I went for a run and right you go today. I went for a run. And, um, so that's what, that's what daddy does, you know, so they get, yeah. get interested in it, you know? So, um, so you get hooked into it. Just were you a competitive person yes. by nature? And that was the draw. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I like, I mean, I always feel like this comes out wrong, but, um, <laughs> I like to win. I like to be successful um, you know, going forward before we go back, the one thing I miss about competitive running is race day. Like I don't really miss anything else, but I miss mm. race. Um, and, and so that was kind of, I think that's just in me and both my kids have that, which is fun to watch. <laughs> that's cool. Um, well, growing up, like playing sports with them, were you the, the dad that, you know, beat them no matter what, or kind of let them win <laughs> once in a while? Yeah, I mean, certainly young, you you you, you didn't go all out because you still want them to have fun. <laughs> uh, but when they get old enough, you know, I'm, I'm my big mantra with both my kids is there aren't excuses, right? There's it's kind of the whole Star Wars Yoda, you know. There is no try. There's do or do not, and um, and I, I believe, and I don't mean I don't mean that. I really talk to them a lot about. Hey, when you don't succeed, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's it's, but don't don't say, oh, the refs were terrible, or mm. you know, so, you know, whatever other excuses you can come up. Just own it, and then go back to you know the drawing board. That's cool. How how much running, Bob, did you do in high school, and was a lot of the training? influence like was was there an advantage because you had a knowledge base from your dad or did you just have good coaching or did you really just get by on on talent and yeah uh, and high school that's a good question my dad um although very supportive we never talked about training and Mm -hmm. uh and my high school coach is i had a uh irv christensen was my high school cross-country coach and he was a college runner, a small college in Ohio, and I, I'm very thankful for him and um, uh, the track coaches, uh, Coach Cavan and Coach McKay, that they they really had this this kind of philosophy. Once they once they realized that I was better than average, um, they really they really sought input. So they had other friends who might be college coaches or. Um, um, kind of a higher level coach that they would talk to and ask input on how to design mm-hmm. training and 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 really had a philosophy of hey our job is to make get Bob ready for college running and and I'm you know looking back on that I'm really thankful because I think there are not all but there are some high school coaches would take that and say oh this is my opportunity to, you know, coach a star and make a name for myself. And I, I didn't have coaches that thought that way at all. 
And so, and so to, to, to answer your original question, I was a pretty low mileage high school runner, you know, 30 to 40 miles a week in cross country on average, you know, 25 to 35 in track at, on average. Um, um, and really never didn't run on Sundays. Usually, um, almost a whole high school career. Um, so, so high, a lot of quality, uh, and certainly talent. Um, and that got me where I needed to be, I guess. So even when you won Kenny nationals, you're, you're still only averaging in the thirties tops. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's, it's nice to hear you had coaches. I mean, so often you see high school coaches, who don't know what they're doing, but then at the same time, they're not willing to seek advice, almost like they don't want anyone to know. Right. Um, you know, that's the danger, right? So it's it's and, nice to see that yeah. they were willing to, to reach out. And normally when you have a coach like that, what they end up doing is over, overcompensating on more, mm. um, on harder, like more is better, harder is better. And that's usually a mistake. Yeah. So I, I think I heard you say on a recent podcast, you were 60th, I think, at, at States as a freshman. And then you jumped to second in the state as a sophomore a year later. I think you talked about yeah. growing a lot. Was it just physical, physically maturing and, and the, the talent that right was the improvement? Pretty much. I, um, and, and, and the gap was even bigger. It was, I was 60th in, in Ohio, which was the district meet oh. and Ohio was district regional state. So, uh, I went from 60th in the district meet to second in the state. So wow. yeah, some maturity, some, I think I grew probably four or five inches between those two years, four, five, six inches. And, um, and just even, even at 35, you know, 40 miles a week, just a year under my belt of, of, of running. Um, and then talent. I mean, I, I, talent, I'm, I'm thankful for the physical, natural talent I had. And, um, you know, there's no, there's no substitute for that. It's hard, yeah. it's hard, hard to coach that. Yeah. And also the mental edge. I, I watched the Kinney national meet on YouTube uh, recently. And I think it's on, on the big Hill on the, the maybe yeah. it was the first loop where you just gunned it and, and just demoralized the field. That's what it looked like watching YouTube. Um, it was similar. It reminded me of when you, you know, played that game with Goucher and the, the 5k title with the surging um, just sort of that mental edge really aggressive in the race, it makes sense that you, you miss racing. Cause it sounds, it just yeah. seems like such confidence and such you were aggressive and, and that came out pretty naturally. Um, I guess I want to talk about social media too, because to only be running 30, 35 miles a week, I guess the danger these days is knowing what everyone else is doing. Like yeah. you can watch their workouts and I can't imagine there was probably guys in that race that were running 70, 80 miles a week. And I don't know if you were aware of what other runners were doing at that level or what proper training was. That was always a, a danger for me. I had an older brother in college and my high school coach was a sprinter. He was a football coach. And yeah. so I knew some semblance of proper training and I knew that I wasn't getting it. And that was a huge disadvantage to me. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think of that a lot, how we, you know, used to wait for track and field news uh, mm. to come in the mail. <laughs> kids in California were doing. And that was, you know, four weeks late from when they actually did it. Right. And, <laughs> and now it's instant. And um, um, so I don't know if that's I think I think there's an advantage to information in that. You know, when you when you when you're aware, I, I would think when you're aware of what others are doing from a performance um, standpoint, sets your sights higher, mm. um, and that's a good thing. Um, but you can get bogged down in information too, right? And so one of the things Sophia and I talk a lot about, my daughter Sophia, is uh, understand what your plan is, and and. And be confident in that and execute to it and don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Um, and that's hard for a 15-year-old girl, to, but she's she's pretty solid at it. So That's cool. So what, what was the transition to college like? How did you land where you did? And, and was it a big transition into the type of training from going very little in high school? Did the coach carefully bring you into yeah. you know higher volume or how how did that work out yeah um well indian university sam bell um, um my dad ran there too so mm -hmm. i was i was aware of the program and back in in the old days we used to get weekly what they called um um, um the comment sheet um sam bell used to put out and splits and comments and they would send it to every alumni as well as distribute to the team and it would have every single race that everyone ran it would literally have every 200 meter split if it was track race or kilometer if it was a cross-country race and then he would put comments in there and he would say stuff like Mm. Uh, um, Scott Williams, great job. You know, you ran with the heart of a champion today. And, you know, John Smith, uh, you almost ran with the heart of a champion, but after 7K, you decided to put, you know, to, to throw the towel in. Like, he'd be really blunt about stuff. And yeah. I, I kind of loved that. And, um, and so when I decided to go to Indiana, I basically decided to go to Indiana because when you when you looked at, and I can't believe I had the the um, foresight to think about this as a 17 year old kid, but Sam Bell had produced more Olympians in 1,500 than than all the other college, great college coaches that were out there, and um, and that's kind of that's kind of where I wanted to be, or at least had to have a shot at, at, at getting to. And, um, and that was more important than maybe an NCAA championship, et cetera. And so went to Indiana and I remember the first week I, and, and I grew up in a suburb, a Northern suburb of Columbus, Ohio, which is pretty flat. Bloomington is, um, not mountainous, but it's starting to get, it gets rolly. It's, yeah. it's really, and, um, so I get to I get to IU and the first week we ran like 66 miles or I ran 66 miles <laughs> and I I could I like I was so beat up and tired and sore and you know and I just and I didn't even I didn't worry about that I don't remember thinking oh my god I can't do this but um, it just hung in there and 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 that quickly kind of settled out and I, I think I ran mostly in the 60s so yes. To answer your question, Coach Bell brought me along maybe slower than some of the other guys who, who were running more. Um, and um, 
yeah. then that worked out because I, I ended up winning the NCAA cross country championships that exact fall. That's crazy. So, I mean, after winning nationals in high school, I'm assuming you could have gone pretty much anywhere you wanted, right? What, who were the, the top programs when you were coming out of school? And where did Indiana rank? Yeah. Well, from a program point of view, as far as a team, um, Indiana was average at best. Um, but from elite, like Terry Brom, who was an 88 yeah. Olympic, Jim Spivey, Jack, yeah. Charles Marsala, just on and on and on of guys who were 145, 800 meter runners to 338, you know, to, just just fast fast guys um and uh and so i was i my five schools i looked at georgetown with coach gagliano who i love he's great um yeah. i looked at wisconsin with martin smith at the time um i was looking at illinois uh for some reason that i can't remember why and um and texas where stan huntsman was at the time and mm -hmm. um you know all those guys were iconic uh, uh, college coaches and, um, um, and, and I'm not, you know, I, you can't know if you would have been successful or more successful or less successful at either of the, any of those programs, but, um, Indiana seemed to be the right fit. That's cool. Um, so that's really neat to, to hear 60 some miles a week and your NCAA champion. What, what was your expectation going into that season? I mean, were you, that confident coming out of high school that you could compete right at the top? Was that the expectation right from the get-go? No, no way. I mean, <laughs> I, in fact, I remember, I forget who, but there's conversation of just, I want to, like, I'm, I'm now, I'm, I'm going from being a big fish in a small pond after mm. winning Kinney to being a small fish in a big pond. And I was excited about that. I was excited about, you know, Indiana had some great post-collegiates that were still trained with the team and, Scott Williams had won the Big Ten cross country championship the year before, and he was still on the team. And so I'm like, I, I get to train with guys, right? I, I've never really had that opportunity before, and mm. I'm just gonna survive and see what happens. And um, and then our first meet was in the Kentucky Invitational in Lexington, and I finished third. And I was, and I think one post collegiate won the race, and I forget who was second, but. And, and, and then I was like, oh, okay. You know, but I didn't know, cause I had no idea if I was going to finish 50th or what, wow. no idea, but, um, finished third and, um, and then went from there, won the big 10 championship. Um, I think I was fourth in the regional, um, and okay. going into the NCAA championships, coach bell asked where I thought I was going to finish. And I said something like, ah, top 15, Mm. top 20 and he said no you're a top five guy um and that yeah. was a surprise to you say that again that that was a surprise to you that he said that top yeah five. i mean after knowing him longer no it wasn't a surprise <laughs> but yeah uh when you're barely an 18 year old kid um it was and um and you know when 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 i was 18 i he and he and he was such a great influence on me but i'm like okay you're the coach you know best i don't know anything and um and so my mind changed and i think it was like five miles into the 10k um i started to drop off a pack of five or six guys 
you know, 15 meters, 10 meters back. And coach bell popped out of seemingly from behind a bush in the middle of nowhere, um, <laughs> at five miles in the back of the course. And I, he, he, I remember him yelling, he goes, this is it. This is the race right here. Like wow. you know, reel those guys in. And, and I did because I didn't know any better. I got coach told me to reel those guys in. I guess I will. And, um, but did, had you given up, like, did you feel like it was over or you had lost those guys? Before I think that it's hard to remember back yeah. to that moment. But I, my guess is as an inexperienced freshman, you just lose focus a little bit and you don't realize what's happening. And before you know it, you're 15, 20 meters back. And if you don't recognize what's happening, uh, then that that's where you end up. And, um, yeah. and so for him to be in the right spot at the right time, uh, was crucial. Now, as you get older and more mature, you, you, hopefully you learn not to let that happen on your own, uh, if you're physically capable. Um, yeah. But, but it's nice as a coach to hear, like you, you cheer on athletes sometimes in these big cross country races and you, you kind of wonder like, does, does it matter? You know, are they, are they hearing, are they responding to this stuff? But, um, it, it's nice to hear that. I, we had Lynn Jennings at one of our VDOT coaching clinics several years ago, and she recalled a story. I think it was her third world cross country win. Yeah. And I forget where it was. They were doing these loops on this grass course. I forget which country it was in. And she talked about the moment where she starts to fall off the lead pack and she started throwing a pity party and yeah. All negative emotions started, you know, coming in. She's like, it's over, it's over. I can't believe this. And her coach snuck into the infield. He went under the ropes, got into the infield and surprised her and just popped out. And she said, he's just screamed at the top of his lungs right into her ears. <laughs> and sure enough, she responded and, um, you know, proceeded to catch the pack and then I'll kicked everyone at the end to yeah. win. So yeah. it's pretty cool. Well, and you're, you're, um, when you talk about, does it matter yelling? And I mean, as a, as a parent going to cross country races now, <laughs> I, I've, I'm, I've, I kind of want to, I've, I've jokingly, I won't do this probably like we should write a, a book or have an Instagram account of all the f funny things parents say at a cross country meet. You know, but, um, but, um, but I'm a big believer that when, and this is why it coach, it's really should come from coaches. Like coaches should be able to say things in the middle of a race that trigger something, right. Mm. That, 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 that's been talked about and worked on and mentioned and yelled in training. Yeah. Uh, and coach bells was uh, a few of them, but a lot a big common one was stay up, stay tall. And I knew what that meant, right? It wasn't just a word. I was like, oh, yeah, right. I need, yeah. To, I need to relax and stay up and stay tall and stay in this, right? As opposed to kick now or run faster or things like that that really don't help. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we often talk to sports psychologists. Um, and one thing, I appreciate you saying that because one thing that that sticks out in their advice is that you have to practice that stuff too. So it's almost like coaches can just yell out to try and fire someone up. It should be something they're used to hearing or they know what you're talking about. They can, it can Absolutely. be, translated. you know, you have to practice that stuff, too, which is kind Absolutely. of, yeah. Um, 
Well, one another thing that you mentioned in terms of the mental game was, I think I heard you say this on the same podcast I'm referring to that I heard you recently, um, which stuck out to me was just that you don't seem to dwell on mistakes. You, you have this ability to kind of move on. And um, same thing, like when you get into college, you're so used to winning and you got third in that that race, but it didn't seem to have too much of an impact on you. You just kind of moved on. And um, do you feel like that's been, an, that was an edge for you? And, and where does that come from? You know, I still dwell on, you know, my little league games. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <poorly. laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I, I can't let that stuff go, you know? Yeah. I don't know where it comes from. I think that's a great question, but I've always been that way. I'm, I've, I've always been yeah. uh, what's next, right? And and every experience is, an, is, is a learning opportunity, win or lose. Um, but but tomorrow's tomorrow. And if you're if if the goal is trying to find out how good I can be, then emotionally dwelling on failure uh, is a waste of energy. Because uh, because fa- if you're truly going to find out how good how good you can be at something, you're going to fail along the way. Like it's part of the process. And so, um, you know, uh, um, I don't know how I learned that or where I picked that up or how it developed in me, but I've always I've always been that way. And um, you know, talking to uh, uh, both my kids about that, um, I think that's just a tool in life. Right, whether it's running or my son's a really good soccer player or or school or whatever your job or profession ends up being, um, you're gonna have days where it doesn't work. And if you if you, you know, it's okay. I always tell my daughter, I'm like, it's okay to be bummed right now. Like, go be bummed the rest of the day. That's fine. But when you wake up tomorrow, just it's tomorrow. Let's shake it off and and yeah. and, and move on. That's cool. Um, I'm going to skip way ahead here to the Olympics in 96. And um, I always remember the moment when when you took the lead in the 5K, because for me growing up in the sport, American distance running, um, it wasn't a great era. You know, you and Todd Williams started coming along and inspired, I think, a whole generation of runners and that in turn inspired more. And I think this is why we're in such a good place today when it comes to competitive running in America. Uh, But I always like to go back to that moment when you took the lead and the Olympics, which is is classic because you were aggressive. And um, was that ever part, I just want to know, like, was that ever part of your plan going into that race? Did it just happen Naturally, do you feel like you weren't aggressive enough or I'd love to hear your. Yeah, it was definitely part of a plan. Um, so to kind of set the stage to the, the, that was, I mean, probably all deep now, but that was a super deep year. I mean, legitimately 10 plus guys could say they had a legitimate shot at a medal that year. And, um, uh, and we is back then it was three, three rounds in four days. So if I have my days right, it was, you know, Thursday prelim Friday, semifinal Sunday final. Um, and so, and so, um, the idea was, you know, guys like, uh, Niangabo, B talk, 
Bulami, Bauman, those are your top four right there. Um, they were they were just faster than I was over the last 400. Uh, they just were. And there was nothing I could do to change that in the short term. So the idea was that if the race was slowish, uh, I would I would run for home with four laps to go and just try to run the kick out of enough of them. Um, and if it was fast, I would still try to go with two laps to go. Uh, and run the kick out because if I'm waiting the last 200, I'm probably gonna not win that battle. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, I've closed in 54 dead uh, at the at the end of fast 5000s, but that just wasn't going to be fast enough for those guys. Um, yeah. So the race ended up being what I would call medium, either fast nor slow, and. Um, um, and and in hindsight, you'd say, well, if it was four or two, then that means three laps to go. But I, I ended up waiting till two laps to go, um, and and it you know it, st- it got strung out and uh, just not enough. I I ran, if I remember correctly, I think I ran one fifty seven something for the last eight hundred. Wow. Um, and got drilled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that was the plan. I I I don't. I really. Any race, any race, you got to have a plan, and it doesn't always go to plan. Um, But I don't, I don't see a value in just standing on the line and going, "Ah, let's just go see what happens today." Right? Yeah, yeah. It was. I still can picture you. I mean, the idea of it just felt like the African runners were so unbeatable, and that moment where it was like, "Wow." Like it's possible, you know what I mean? Uh, well, we'll I'll, 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 on that for one second, I mean, yeah. I was fortunate and I think for me was a great benefit that I ended up um, working with Kim McDonald, who's an agent and coach out of England who had uh, a stable of great Kenyan athletes, Moses Kiptanui, Daniel Coleman, Paul Bita, on and on and on and on. And I trained with those guys. Uh, in England and Australia. And so when when you go to the training track and you're running step for step for the with the work hard, hard workouts with those guys, when you stand on a starting line and you look and you're like, oh Paul. <laughs> and you're like, I can roll with these guys, right? Mm-hmm. And so because I do, you know, every day on the track. Um, and so the ability to leave home for periods of the year, get out of the comfort zone, train with guys who are better than me. Um, really, it changed the, uh, uh, it changed my expectations of what I was going to do in races. Did you, did you completely change your training and just do what they did at that point? Or you were just jumping in some workouts? How did that work? Um, so, so basically when I was with them, which would have been, um, January, February in, in Australia, and it would have been um, effectively June after the U.S. Championships all the way through September, um, and then sometimes in May in Palo Alto. Uh, we would we would train together. Uh, every workout, we, we worked out together. Now, we would – some of our regular runs we did on our own, uh, but, but track stuff, the hard stuff, that was – Kim would, would – 
training was at 1030 and we'd all show up at 1030 and the workout was what the workout was. Mm. And what did you learn most? You think just exposing yourself to that around it? Was it just confidence that you gained? Was it a smarter way to train or did you just train harder as well or all of the above? That, that? I think it's, I think it's your expectation of what's good. And if you all example, For it was the first time I was going to go train and, and work with this group. But I, I, I was in Bloomington and I was doing my last workout before getting on a plane and going to England. And we did um, <clears throat> six by 800. And, you know, I started out at 205, 204, worked my way down to like two flat on the fifth one and ran 159 or something for the for the sixth one. I was great. I was like one of the best I've ever, uh, one of the best workouts I've ever done like that at the time. Hmm. Get on a plane, go to England. I don't remember how many days, let's just call it seven or eight days later. I get on the track for the first time and could just coincidentally, we're doing six by 800 <laughs> and we start at 158. I mean, it's that was, and, and I ran 158 and 158 and 158 and 159 and 157. And, and, and I'm like, oh, this is just a different level. And, <laughs> and, and the workout I did in Bloomington, the 205 down, it wasn't easy. It's not like I was jogging, right? But it was, so, it was solo and Bloomington. Right. Yeah. And I didn't know. I didn't know that maybe there's a different expectation because I'd never experienced it. And, and prior to that point, training with these guys, in college, are you you're mostly just doing everything solo? You were just better than everyone, right? There was really no um, a lot. Well, we were. I was fortunate to have um, um, some post postgraduates at, at IU, Terry Brom, for a while. That so so not everything was alone, but but yeah, some, some of it was. Yeah. How much is I feel like since you were in the game, like so much has happened with strength training yes and in terms of what we know obviously recovery tools there's a lot of tech tech out there now um what were you guys doing back then this is like you know you're at nike yeah at the top of your game what was what was strength training did what did you do what did it look like it was very basic it was <laughs> yes yeah, so basic literally a couple two or three days a week at the most two days a week during the season, uh, you know, a little bench press, light bench press, a little lap pull, uh, a, a little uh, light squat, whether it be single leg or double leg. That was about it. That was about wow. it. And and now, you know, my good friend Pascal Dubert, uh, who does all the strength stuff for Bowman Track Club, it's it's so much more involved and, and detailed and more effective right yeah i think yeah no it's it's unbelievable so i that always bothers me like looking back like oh, i wish we we knew all this stuff back then um what about nutrition was that a was that a focus of yours or was it still just kind of like i i'm eat fairly well and i don't need to worry about it it was it was the latter i i, I mean i knew what was healthy and what was unhealthy and i generally ate healthy but i didn't 
I didn't think about how much protein I was having and how much carbohydrate and how much, you know, I, um, <clears throat> but I didn't eat a lot of junk food. Um, I, I didn't, um, yeah, I, 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 in season for me, which was basically, you know, call it January through September, I was pretty healthy eater. Um, but not, not regimented. And it wasn't until I train, I did a training stint with Dieter Hogan, great marathon coach where I, I even heard of someone talking about things like slow digesting and fa fast digesting carbohydrates. And you can eat this one here and this one there. And I'm like, Oh wow. People actually think about this in more detail than I've ever thought about it. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah. And then the other thing I don't you're asked about this or not is altitude. And, um, I trained at altitude very, very late in my career. And I think if I, if I did everything over again, that's the one thing I would do different. I think I'm the, I think I'm the only athlete to run under 13 minutes and 5,000 that did not train at altitude. Wow. Um, you said at the end of the career you did, you did, where would you go? A little bit. Boulder it was in Albuquerque once. Most did you find it helpful or no? Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, I mean, I was kind of post prime, so, you know, helpful, I, you know, I still expected to run 1250, even though that was probably going to be impossible when I was 32, but yeah, um, not impossible, but unlikely. Um, so yeah, I found it helpful. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm yeah. not even sure I knew if I was doing it the right way, honestly. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. I mean, Jack is sort of. So everyone thinks he's the altitude guy. I mean, he's a, he's actually kind of mixed on it. To him, he always emphasizes the training camp effect that sure. you're just putting yourself in a good environment to get good training in and good you know good weather and um, in terms of the physiological benefits, you know I think it can be um, minimal in in some cases. It, like you said, it depends on how you how you utilize it. He always makes the point like, why aren't the best high school runners from Colorado? Right. You know, they're from New yeah. York or they're from places yeah. that have larger populations. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think I would, and I'm not a scientist. I would think I would argue that the top echelon of talent probably benefits marginally from, from doing it the right way. And that tiny margin is it matters, right? The difference yeah. between yeah. 1258 and 1254, it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that, and, and the risk is if you do it wrong, it can be damaging. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well then real quickly, do, do you feel like you stayed pretty much healthy over the course of your career, I know you you battled some injuries towards towards the end, but overall, it seemed like you were pretty durable, right? Or, or did I miss yeah. some, some injuries? Yeah, and yeah, my, minor things that would last, you know, a few weeks or, you know, I had a, I think I had one stress reaction that lasted five weeks in my career. So yeah, I'm generally healthy. And what do you think? Just as a coach, I'm interested to to know your perspective, like looking back on that, what are some of the reasons why is it just maybe your lower volume and that allowed for greater accumulation consistency or were there other factors you think that were you constantly trying to prevent injuries or did it just kind of happen 
natural. I think in high school, certainly the low volume, the, the rest in the off season, um, you know, that allows, it's just less wear and tear. And so less things are likely to happen. And of course you're 16 and 17. So you, you can handle a lot more, uh, at that age as well. College similar, right? I, um, I still wasn't running crazy mileage and I, I was coach bell would ha- he had a workout schedule as a three week workout schedule, had all these codes on it and he'd hand you a piece of paper and he goes, here's the next workout schedule. And every time, for for the years that he coached me, every single time he gave it to me, he'd say, "And rest is the most important thing on this workout, mm-hmm. on this schedule." And and so we we knew we rest when we were supposed to rest, we rested. And and it's so impactful to stay healthy. And then of course you get to be a professional athlete, and even college at a school like Indiana where they provided the equipment. I mean, when I was when I was professional athlete I, I every two weeks like clockwork i put a new pair of shoes on whether i needed them or not right i just mm. a massage and recovery and and cycling training so it's not just hammering for those all um to try to stay healthy and then i just think that for whatever reason i was built in a way where i just handled it my body handled it yeah, that's cool. So cycling, you there was some you always made sure to take time off or just stay away from intense training throughout the year. It was yeah, yeah, um, both. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really take days off in the you know call it uh, November through September, um, but um, but cycling up and down. So we might have a three week period where we're really going high mileage, high intensity. And then the next seven to 10 days, we'd still be running, but it would come way down and the workouts wouldn't be as frequent. And, and then you'd cycle up again and just building kind of that into a a calendar year or a a schedule matters. Your body recovers even if you don't have to take a full day off. And then, and then after the season, and I, I tell Sophia this uh, too at the end of her season. Coach Bell always used to tell me, you know, go home, don't run, um, at least two weeks, but ultimately just just come back when you feel like running again. So it was physical but emotional, and and so mostly it was around two weeks for me at the end of the season. I just wouldn't run at all. Hmm. Once I remember being four weeks, just I was just wasn't ready. Um, and, and I think that's important, right? Cause you, your mind has to be in the right place to start again. Yeah. Um, and then real quickly on, on, you talked to clean sport recently. Yeah. Um, was that something that was always on your mind competing internationally? Like how prevalent do you think it was? And is it something you just tried to tune out that it was out of your control? And, um, yeah. the more I think about it, the more detrimental it is. Um, yeah, I, I think in mind. the 90s, it was very prevalent. Um, yeah. And uh, there's always rumors and, you know, this agent's group and that athlete and that nation. And, but you never really knew. And in the yeah. end, I, I, 
for me, it didn't impact, it didn't impact what I was doing. Um, and I was able to just say, you know what, I can't do anything about that. And I need to run, um, uh, the best that I can. And it is what it is. And, um, and I do, I remember, I think I said this on the clean sport podcast. I remember having a conversation with Kim McDonald, not about whether to do drugs or not, not to use them or not, but, but more just a, a, con- a conceptual conversation where he said, we could go get them right now. Like they're not, and you would probably win medals and you would probably make a lot more money he goes, but 20 years from now, when you're sitting on your couch, you're going to wonder if it was you or the drugs. Wow. And, and now, and now that it's, and I never considered doing it, but it was just an interesting philosophical conversation, but I remember it. And now some 25 or whatever, many years later, I I'm living that. And I'm, I'm proud. I know that I ran 1258 clean and, um, and I, you can't take that away from me. Like, I feel good about that. Yeah, I remember Jack citing a study I, from many years ago. Um, it was basically asked them these athletes question. If you could win, you know, an Olympic medal, but do it in a way that, you know, you were going to use lose years on your life taking these substances, would you still do it? And sadly, it was kind of shocking how many said, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I think I it's a, ask them with that when they're forty, though. Yeah. You know? it's, right. it's a different. You have a different outlook on life when you're twenty versus when you're forty or fifty, and That's and also, point. I recognize that my ability to make that choice might be different than someone who grows up, you know, in a mud hut course, somewhere yeah. somewhere else in the world. Right? They have a different world they're looking at and a different set of opportunities or not opportunities. And I can't judge. I can't judge that. I, I don't live that. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, that's a good point. So good luck this weekend, man. Um, how is your daughter? How does she feel going into the race? She's excited. She loves the big stage. Uh, <laughs> she's, uh, she's, uh, she, she, it doesn't bother her. And I love that about her. She, uh, you know, win or lose, she just, she gets excited. She doesn't get nervous. I mean, she gets nervous, but she doesn't get, it doesn't get debilitating. And so, um, yeah, we'll see. She's been running great this year, much better than last year. There's some great girls in Indiana. So wow. she got a chance at winning. She's also could be fifth or sixth and it's still run a great race. So. Are you, are you, do you, see yourself as like another coach for her? Or do you try and just stay, you know, supportive as a parent and not step on any toes when it comes to, yeah, is it hard to do? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's hard for me. I, I think I'm successful, but uh, she has a great high school cross country coach who I think has a, a really good grasp of the different uh, physio- physiological systems and how to train them. And, uh, and so I feel confident in that. And so one of the, th- the things that Sophia and I talk mostly about are just what's going through her head, preparation, what she's thinking about going into a race, what she's thinking about in the middle of a race, how she should prepare her mind. You know, I mean, I remember saying something to her just a few weeks ago 
when she was talking about visualizing a race and I'm like, what are you visualizing? And she said, well, I'm visualizing winning. I'm like, and I said, well, how, how does that feel? She goes, that feels easy. I'm like, well, that's the wrong way to visualize it. <laughs> yeah. You should visualize the pain and discomfort. Cause that's what's, that's what's going to feel like, you know? <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So just little things like that to preparing your mind for what the race is actually going to be like. So that you're not surprised or disappointed when you get to 3K and you're like, oh, this hurts. Well, yeah, it's supposed to hurt, right? It's it's not a surprise. So that's awesome. Bob, thanks for sharing your experience and your tips and insight. This is awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Great talking to you. Yeah, it was nice having you. Take care. I've been over here.